Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. 1 Samuel 28, Saul in the medium of Endor. Endor? What? Is that the place with the little, uh, little cute, uh, what are they, like, I forget what they're called. They're like the little like guys with the spears, and they got they're like little teddy bears, right, walking around. Star Wars? No, no, different Endor, different Endor. Uh, though this is a this is a weird and perhaps even otherworldly chapter uh, because you have it seems uh, Samuel being what is this uh, temporarily raised or invoked from the dead. Is he really talking to Samuel? What's going on? So, I mean, those are the questions I think that we as modern readers always have, uh, just kind of as we kind of grapple with things that seem supernatural uh, from our perspective. But in terms of the text, I mean, it's just a really interesting question. Like, why is it now that that Saul is driven to do this? I mean, and, and this kind of, I think, gets back to the theological question of, is Saul just an, an apostate unbeliever at this point? Uh, you know, what's what's going on with that? And then meanwhile, David is still hanging out with the Philistines. This, this is a fun chapter. Uh, we are going to try to get our guest, uh, but we, we may have some technical difficulties. But we're going to go ahead and just uh, plunge into the chapter uh, before. Uh, yeah, and, and, we'll, and we'll see. We'll, we'll just see how it goes. Uh, but Lord willing, we will get him. But if not, lots of questions, uh, lots of opportunity for questions from you guys. But let's just go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to the end of this week. There are lots of things on our minds, lots of things going on in the world. But we thank you for this opportunity to, to slow down, to take a look at your word, to look at a context in the picture that's bigger than ourselves in our present circumstances, that we would see in all these things, especially in uh, these accounts from First Samuel, the picture of how you have been faithfully taking care of us, your people, from the very beginning, preparing the way for your Christ, who is to come again. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, let's see. Is there anything that we really need to review before we read this chapter here? Um, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of neat. The chapter itself kind of does its own review. Uh, I mentioned, so David has been with Akish or uh, Akish, this uh, one of the five primary Philistine lords. He's been uh, serving him to an extent. I mean, he's polite. He brings him treasure. He is like, a, you know, honoring his patron, but he is lying to him. And that was, I think, the, one of the big things that we saw last time, that, you know, he keeps telling him, oh, yeah, I'm raiding, you know, the, the Judahites or the Jeremiahites. Those are also Judahites or uh, the Kenites, right, um, who are kind of quasi-Israelites. You know, I'm, like, raiding my own people. Forget them. I'm done with them, you know. Uh, but in reality, he's actually raiding, uh, what's it say earlier in the chapter, the, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Uh, the very people that Saul was supposed to exterminate. So uh, you have this as the setup that that David is doing what Saul should have been. And here we are. And, uh, well, I, I think that's probably all we need because it already kind of sets itself up. So let's just read it. This is chapter 28 here of First Samuel. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. 
David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was so afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. And the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten anything all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore you shall also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. All right, so 
there's there's so many things going on. Like I was saying, I, I think that as modern readers, we, we struggle with this seemingly supernatural occurrence here. And so there, there, I think that almost, uh, I, I don't know, maybe even most of the commentary that you get, that you see on this chapter is just all about, was it, was it actually Samuel? And, you know, was it a demon? Was it God? But I mean, you know, and just trying to explain the supernatural thing. Uh, and, and we'll, yeah, sure. We can talk about that, but I think that we want to make sure that we don't neglect the, the point of the story itself, because when this story was told, the, the point was not like proving the supernatural or anything like this. Uh, the point was Saul's been abandoned by God. And there's this message that he does receive from Samuel again, and it's certainly prophetic. Uh, and so like pr just kind of focusing on the message itself, uh, I'm told that we do have our guest. Fantastic. I'm glad it was able to work out here today. Joining us, we've got Brian Cashelmeyer, pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Good morning, brother. Good. I'm glad that we were able to get a hold of you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Sorry about that. Oh yeah. yeah. No worries. No worries. You know, there's, there's always a few hiccups along the way. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that we were able to have you on. It's been a little bit. Um, how are you and the brothers and sisters in Los Alamos? Well, of course, these are some very, very crazy times. I mean, you talk about uh, wanting a word from the Lord. Uh, sure. You know, this whole idea, you want to hear what the Lord says. Well, you look to the written word. I mean, that's what we want to focus on uh, instead of trying to find some supernatural thing. Uh, outside of uh, experience. But during these times, I mean, you, you want to find a word from the Lord. You know, what's going on with all this uh, lockdown, shutdowns, COVID-19, yeah. uh, restrictions, rules, regulations, all these things. Uh, here here in, in New Mexico, we have some of the tightest rules in the whole country. And so, in, in fact, we are limited on the number of people we can have in a worship service. So we're actually doing a Saturday night service and a Sunday morning service. And then, of course, videotaping this or, or uh, recording this and making it available online. So these are definitely some strange times. You know, you just mentioning uh, a Saturday night service. Uh, it just kind of jogged my memory again, something that crossed my mind when um, you have uh, Saul going to this medium by night, right? Like, I think it's clear that um, in, in the story, he goes to her by night like wearing different clothes, right? Because like, he doesn't want anyone to <laughs> know what he's doing. Uh, I mean, this would look bad for obvious reasons. Um, but also we have in the new Testament, then you have, uh, you know, Nicodemus going to the Lord by night, you know? So there's, some, there's something I've always found to be interesting about evening services. And uh, I don't know, just the idea of, of the gathering by night. Well, I mean, for both for good as in, you know, uh, John chapter 3, uh, or for bad here in First Samuel 28. Yeah, it's interesting, even in the book of Ruth. I mean, you get this uh, in the book oh, of yeah? Ruth, where um, uh, Ruth is, is goes to the, in the middle of the night. <laughs> where she's yeah. going to go meet with Boaz, right? Yeah. So she meets with Boaz at night. So the, these things do happen at night. And, and some of the interesting things about night with Nicodemus or with Boaz it's kind of more of a, an intimate, private conversation. Uh, yeah. So that versus in the book of Ruth, if you go to the gate, 
then at the public square, and that's kind of like the, the court of arbitration of what's going to happen for the day's business. So you meet in the morning at the gate, and it becomes a public uh, announcement. So that's why Boaz then the next morning has to go to the gate and publicly talk about this. Um, but at the night, it's more of this intimate kind of close ring close inner circle. Um, with the church, I think that we can see this as the way that we gather at the night together as the people of God, because we have that that hope and we have the promise that Jesus is the light of the world, which no darkness can overcome. And as we gather at night, we kind of were preparing for the day of death and the day of resurrection. So each night when we go to bed, we're practicing for the bodily resurrection, where we, we rest and we go to sleep in the Lord's care. And then in the morning, we wake up and we thank uh, our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ that he has protected us through the night and given us the gift of a, a new day. And so the church, when the church gathers at night, it's kind of, it's that inner circle talking about the promises of God, being reassured. And then if you look at the next day, then we're waiting for that last day. But each day here in this life, we, we're still in this public realm, and we can proclaim the goodness of God in the light to all people. Now, I mean, so that, that there is that contrast there. Uh, obviously, we, we gather together on the morning to celebrate the resurrection of Christ who overcame death in the grave. And just like as the sun rises— and the rays of the sun extend to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's kind of that proclamation uh, of this wonderful doctrine of justification, that in Christ uh, our sins have been atoned for, and we stand before God uh, with his righteousness by faith. Uh, and so there is all of this connection a, a night and day, and there is a connection of death and resurrection. And so in this passage of Samuel, I mean, we have that note that now Samuel had died. Yeah. And so where does this fall into the, this whole picture? Uh, uh, the, the people of God since the beginning have the promise of the bodily resurrection. Uh, the, that's the whole understanding that Adam is formed from the ground, uh, that Adam came from the Adamah. He's formed there from the ground, but then he returns back to the ground uh, because of sin. And so the wages of sin is death, and he goes back to the ground. But that whole hope is we will come back out of the ground again on that last day because of Jesus. And so where does this fall in with Samuel, death, life, trickery of the devil? I mean, all these things. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, I mean, just just uh, I appreciate the way you were laying it out for us, making the connections um, both to um, kind of like the because some people have suggested that 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 maybe Nicodemus in chapter three wasn't necessarily like going in a secretive way, but it was sort of like the kind of like, I don't know, table talk after hours edition, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Right. Go like and talk to Luther just for like follow up, right? Like it was a great sermon right, this morning. Yeah. Can you can you tell us more over a beer, right? So I mean, so so and yeah, and that so that's I, I think certainly a possibility, kind of the, the intimacy idea there. But um, the connection you were making also to like the liturgy of the hours, that idea of the the rhythms of the day um, applying themselves to the 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 rhythms of, of life in general, um, seeing that sunset as a the eve before the resurrection, right? I mean, that just makes such a stark contrast here because uh, here's Saul not going and worshiping uh, before the Lord the eve before battle. Um, here he is you know, preparing for resurrection, right? But here he is going to a medium and he's going to be preparing to die. Um, I mean, that, I mean, that's the, that's the message we get. I mean, so, I mean, very, uh, I, I think that what you were saying is helpful in that it kind of brings out just like, oh, how, how wrong this looks. But, 
Um, I don't want to skip over though the, the setup here because, like you were saying, there's there's important details in the setup relating to, of course, um, Samuel dying. But uh, the, the first the first step in verse one that we have is that there's this uh, this gathering of the Philistines and this this gathering, right? I, I think we need to kind of stop and appreciate it because on the one hand, it's like, well, aren't the Philistines like always fighting the Israelites, <laughs> right? Uh, but but this is this is bigger than that, and and I think you kind of get that because David even is now supposed to be fighting uh, with with uh, with Achish against the Israelites. I mean, so just just what kind of large-scale mobilization are we talking about? Well, I, I think the idea of gathering, uh, again, I, I, just to play back on the understanding of a gathering together as the people of God. I mean, this is what we do at, at a night service. This is what we do at a morning service. We gather together because ultimately why we're gathering is as the people of God, we want to hear the Word of God to uh, enable us to fight a spiritual war that's going on. Uh, this is a, a battle of of words. It's of words between the devil who deceives us and God who speaks the truth, God who speaks life, the devil who speaks uh, death, the devil who speaks darkness, God who speaks light. So, I mean, understand in that, that idea of gathering, even this gathering together, uh, uh, forces of war uh, that you're fighting. And so here you have the Philistines that are gathering to fight against Israel. Uh, so we're, we're talking that this line of, uh, of battle is being drawn, that, that we're going to have a fight. And so what does it mean when you gather up the troops? And it, it, even that this whole language that it's going to be against Israel, well, is not Israel God's people? Uh, is not Israel God's favored? And you have all the other people of the earth who don't have these promises. But there's, it is a strange kind of uh, notation here in that very first verse that here the forces of the Philistines are gathering against Israel, God's own people. But yet we also know that Saul was God's anointed one. But then Saul, of course, he rejected God, rejected the promise, and he separated from God's word. He's trying to worship without God's word. That's what got him in trouble with Samuel, of course. And so this then becomes the anointed, appointed one by God. So where does this all fall in line? You know, which one is God's anointed? Which one is God's appointed? Which yeah. one is God fighting for? Which one is God fighting against? And and yeah. we would not know without the prophetic word. Yeah, now I, I think that that's, uh, that's getting at uh, the artistry of this chapter here, that in the setup, there's there's a there's so much irony, right? And like I think that this is one of the key things that as as you're reading uh, the biblical text, like you just have to really appreciate that uh, so much irony is built into the storytelling, right? And if you miss the irony, right, like you're just kind of you're just letting the details bounce off of you. But like you were saying, there's the, there's this great irony because you know a couple chapters earlier, David said these people are forcing me to to go and leave. Uh, to go worship other gods, right? That's what he said in, in chapter 26. And so here's here's David, who's going off to, you know, be with uh, Akish and to, to be with the Philistines, and he, he's there, you know, seemingly serving Dagon in terms of outward appearances, right? Uh, but, but we know that in reality, he's not doing that, though it seems pretty scary, <laughs> right? When you have this, this large-scale mobilization, I think the way that we have to take this is that um, sure, the Philistines and the Israelites are always fighting each other, but here the five lords of the Philistines are calling together the convocation, and they're assembling as one army here. And so that's why you get 
uh, well, we'll read more about this in chapter 29 next time, which is why ultimately David is not going to fight <laughs> against Saul, because it is all five, and so they all have to have a say in this. But so you get this large-scale mobilization, and right now it looks like David is going to have to align himself in the gathering of, of the people against God's people. Uh, so it looks looks like bad on the outside, but the reality is just the opposite. On the other hand, you've got this comment in, um, you know, in verse 3 that, you know, Saul, you know, has put all the mediums and necromancers out of the land, so Saul, from the outward appearance, looks really good, but the reality is he's going to secretly see a necromancer. So it's just, it's super ironic, and the appearances and the actual reality are just backwards for these two men. Well, even with the Philistines, I mean, remember, this is the, the Philistines earlier in First Samuel. I mean, this is where the whole problem came up with wanting a king and, and Hophni and Phinehas and losing the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. So the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. And again, what's the Ark of the Covenant? That's the promised presence, uh, the location where God promises to meet with his people. Uh, that's the throne that the God promises to be enthroned above the wings of the cherubim. And so he, here uh, goes at the ark, and the ark is with the people, but now the Philistines have the ark. So, I mean, this is the same Philistines that took the ark. I mean, these are kind of <laughs> Philistines who then the, they, they couldn't deal with the ark and with God's presence, and Dagon falls down and bows down to uh, God, right. the, the idol, the statue, which is hilarious. But, yeah. but now, so all of this is in play. And then, of course, Saul looks like he's the one who's following God's word. But, but that's exactly what happened when Samuel told him. Him, specifically what God's word was, and yeah. Saul goes and he opts for an audible on the line and says, well, I'm going to worship God in my way because I think yeah. my way is even better. And, yeah. and that's always the play with Saul is he's trying to be very creative in his worship, and here it, it looks on the outside like what he's doing is good. I mean, so when Saul thought he was doing good, but he wasn't listening to the word uh, of the Lord. Well, here again, Saul thinks he's doing good, and everybody else thinks he's doing good by kicking out the mediums. I mean, so you're, you're going to—these people are, are the in-between people. Uh, this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of the, this whole COVID-19, I mean, this is the whole funny idea with like a median— uh, when you, in the old United States where you gather around the table and you try to speak to the dead, uh, yeah. this is kind of how it is now on a, uh, when you get in a Zoom meeting. You know, you're like, is anybody here? I can't see you. Speak uh, now. Let your presence be who known. Do you, you know? Who do you see? I, I see. I don't. I, I, it's kind of a garbled image here. It looks like a man uh, in a robe. Uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, but, no, there's some. But that's some... the idea. Even, even in this lockdown, you're trying to communicate to somebody that you can't get in contact with in a normal way. You can't walk over and talk to the person because you're isolated, you're in shutdown, you've got rules, regulations, but you're trying a different medium uh, through yeah. which you can uh, meet with this individual. So what I, I think I heard you say is that social media is the equivalent of necromancy. It needs to be banned from Israel. <laughs> no, no, but oh, sorry. Well, so, it so could we only, be. We only, it could be. <laughs> exactly that. Um, yeah. So we only have a minute here before we got to take our break. But uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that that's setting it up nicely here. That um, you, you have re really there are definitely some patterns. Um, and, and to be to be fair, though, I mean, I think that David is also proving to be pretty creative <laughs> with the ways that he is being obedient 
uh, to God, right? So I think both men are demonstrating, perhaps you could say, a kind of creativity, right? But uh, the question is, uh, to what end? And it's just like you said, I think I like the connection you're making. This goes back to the Amalekites, and in fact, Samuel's going to bring it up again. Uh, that, well, the, the problem is Saul got creative with it and made his own objectives, whereas David was creatively trying to figure out, okay, what do I do to maintain and adhere to God's objective, regardless of appearances? So that, that difference, and this is something, a theme again and again, don't look at the appearances, don't look at the appearances, don't look at the appearances. God's been saying it the whole book long. We have to go to our break, but everybody hold on. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 28 on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. On this Friday, October 9th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Rod and Phyllis Silger of Hoyleton, Illinois. Rod and Phyllis made a gift to KFUO in celebration of their 49th wedding anniversary. Rod and Phyllis were married on this day in 1971, and in thanksgiving to the Lord for the blessing of their three grandchildren, Hannah, Sophie, and Spencer, all to the glory of God. Thank you, Rod and Phyllis Silger, for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Join Christian Friends of New Americans for their golf benefit at Greenbrier Hills Country Club, Monday, October 12th. Registration and box lunch at 11 a.m., 18-hole shotgun start at 12 noon. Special price for ladies and church workers. Register at cfna-stl.org slash golf. Not a golfer? Register for our 5 p.m. hospitality hour. Please help us reach out to refugees and immigrants with the good news of Jesus as we help them with English and life skills. Register for golf or a sponsorship. cfna-stl.org slash golf. A king's dream, a mysterious statue with feet of clay, an unearthly rock that grows to fill all the earth and God's empathy for a weeping world embodied in Christ. It's all part of Dr. Michael Ziegler's message this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 28 here, joined by our guest via the medium of uh, phone and internet technologies, <laughs> whatever we may think of them. We've got our guest, Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer, pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. If you've got a question for us and you're listening live, join the conversation. You can call 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or if you prefer the written medium, you can send an email to KFUO <laughs> at KFUO.org. Or if, if you'd like to do the video <laughs> medium, you can do Facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. I'm going to stop with the necromancy jokes now. Um, but so the, the, the questions we've gotten so far, um, kind of basically getting to, is Saul acting... Was Saul acting uh, rightly 
in his conduct of putting out the the mediums and the sorcerers uh and if so then why is god so displeased with them um so kind of trying to get a gauge on so is Saul being a good king and a bad king or or a bad king right and uh you know it's one of these like i think the answer is is yes right um and then kind of on facebook some of the questions this is this is actually a couple of good ones here too um it's like so the one one of them right is uh if saul it's talking about Saul consulting the Urim, but we were told that Abiathar was hanging out with David. So who's the real high priest and where is he? Really good question. Um, and then there's this other question too. Well, well, we'll save that one for a little bit. So yeah, so certainly some some good questions for us to take a look at. Um, maybe, let, let's, let's go ahead. So we were kind of like looking at these first several verses if we're looking here at verses five and six, we have this, uh, yeah. So in, in verse six, right. Uh, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Uh, so maybe this can kind of, a, this is a good point to address some of these questions about this. So what are we to take from this, that God is not answering Saul? Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, you'll see this in the book of Isaiah. Uh, when Hezekiah, who's king of Jerusalem, this is the good son. Ahaz of Jerusalem, bad son. But uh, yeah. when Hezekiah is a good king of Jerusalem, and you have the Assyrians coming to march on them, and he, he wants to know, what, what do I do? Because the, the Rabshakeh is saying that Yahweh spoke to him that Yahweh uh, met with him, and Yahweh has given him this authority, and Yahweh told them that uh, Jerusalem's going to be laid to waste. And, and so Hezekiah is wondering within his own heart, his own conscience, and saying, is this true? Is this God's word? Um, because even Rabshakeh is using the, this language of, you guys are trusting in Egypt, and you know that Yahweh told you not to trust in Egypt. <laughs> so yeah. Hezekiah yep. is kind of like, well, where do I turn? What do I do? Yeah. And what we see in the prophet Isaiah is the prophet Isaiah himself is the one who will speak the word of Yahweh to Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is looking to the left and to the right and says, where can I have a sure word? It's from the mouth of the prophet. That prophet is set there to be the mediator to give the clear word. And so this is the understanding. Where do I look to? And so when Saul is looking and inquiring of Yahweh and he doesn't hear a word, this is kind of that, that idea where somebody says, I'm, I'm waiting for God to speak vocally, loudly to me. Um, you know, or somebody who says, I, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. Well, you say, if you're waiting for God to speak, read your bulletin. And if they say, I'm waiting for God to speak so I can hear him with my ear vocally, and then you say, just read your Bible out loud. Um, <laughs> we have the advantage of the written word, but here you have Saul who's looking for that living voice of God in the mouth of the prophet. You don't have Samuel. Samuel one who's been set in place so that you can be certain and sure that this is the word of God. Samuel's dead. And so what does Saul do? Saul wants to trace after Samuel <laughs> to try to get the word yeah. from Samuel. Right? So he's inquiring and going, what is Yahweh saying? You're saying, uh, Yahweh, answer me, answer me. And there is no answer. So Saul is, is setting himself as if he is in that prophetic office. Because notice this language of he's inquiring, uh, and he is not hearing, and he doesn't get a dream, um, and so there's no other prophets, and so he doesn't know what to do. But th this is the idea of, of a prophetic office 
the, the man that was placed in that office was sent by God to speak the word. Now, we have that advantage of the written word, so we can know the voice of all the prophets. We can know the voice of the apostles. If you want to know what Peter was preaching or what Paul was preaching, we have the written word so we can be certain and sure. And so here is Saul. He's, he's voyaging on these uncharted waters where he's a king. This is the first time they have a king. They don't have a king before. Before this, God is king. And remember when they reject uh, Samuel as being kind of the judge and they want a king like the, the Gentiles have, God says that they're rejecting me. And, and so Saul is really in these uncharted waters of what does it mean to be king and what does it mean when the judge and prophet Samuel is no longer here to speak? Yeah, you know, the the irony does just get thicker, right? I mean, uh, he didn't, he showed a, a lot of, uh, like you were getting at, you know, in uh, in Samuel's life, he was showing a lot of disagreement and, and hesitancy to obey Samuel. Like, ah, oh, well, Samuel, I mean, that's what you're saying, but, you know, I mean, really, is that really what God wants? And now it's like he's he's uh, so desperate to hear Samuel, right? It's uh uh, yeah, no, that, that it really is something. And uh, I, I think another little element here that's pretty ironic, too, is that um, this is something that you get in the uh, in the Hebrew. In verse 6, it says that Saul sauled of the Lord, right? Like he, uh, this, this is a play on his name, and which is uh, the same word play we saw earlier in the book, that Saul was sauled by the people of Israel. That's to say that the word ask or, uh, yeah, petitioned, Right is uh, the same as his the root of his name, and so the people asked for a king, and they got Saul. They got what they asked for, um, and and then <laughs> right. so here, right? So there's no. I mean, it's, it's it's brilliant. I mean, like it's like if you just if you don't see it, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's right. so ironic, all of it, right? Um, right and and right, so now right, here's right, Saul, right. and and here's Saul, and he's he's asking, he's inquiring of the yeah. Lord, and he well, I mean, and this is the ironic thing, right? He it seems like he doesn't get what he asked for, um, but he's going to end up getting it anyway in this really weird way. So, I mean, it's just, it's like just super, super ironic. And um, like, like you were saying, yeah, I think this gets back to this idea that, um, you know, like the, the king is, is supposed to be uh, submissive to the prophet in certain regards, right? Like there's like, there's like a certain place that God has put both. Um, and we saw it before, like, it's not that Saul, it's like illegal for Saul to like make sacrifices or something. But when the prophet says, don't do that, wait for me, you, you, you got to listen to him, you know? And, and so I, I think this is the same deal where it's just like, you know, like Saul is just kind of taking matters into his own hands and saying like, well, if, if God's not going to answer me, then I'm going to do it this way. Right. I mean, which is very similar to when he just went ahead and just made the, the sacrifices without without Samuel, and, and it's just like you were saying, getting I think to the written word idea. It's like when God says, "Don't do this. Wait." Well, He wants you to wait and not just say, "You know what? It's I've been waiting too long. I, I have to figure this out on myself." But I, I think this goes back to the significance of the written word again. Moses made it very clear that the. Le Levitical priests, not just the Levites, but the priests, the Levitical priests were supposed to have a copy of the written Torah, the five books of Moses. And then the king was supposed to have a copy. So you, you do have Moses already saying that you're going to have a king at some point in time. And what the king yeah. needs to do is he needs to make sure he has the written word. What the priests need to do is they make, need to make sure they have a written word. And so there's kind of a check and balance system going on here with the written word yeah. between the priest and the king. And if, if the king wants to know what God says, 
for certain and sure, what does God say to do? Well, he would have went back to the written word in Leviticus chapter 19, where it forbids anybody from turning to a medium or a a necromancer. And anyone who does so, it becomes unclean. And to be unclean is is ritually unclean. You cannot participate in the liturgical life of the church or the people of God, that is. And you can't go before Yahweh's presence. So this is very ironic, too, because he wants a word from Yahweh, but by the fact of turning to a medium or a necromancer, he is making himself ritually unclean, which makes, means that he is uneligible to be in the promised presence of God, where God promises to be enthroned at the Ark of the Covenant. So th- there is that thick irony there. And even in Leviticus, it goes on to further explain that the person who does such a thing, then Yahweh will turn his face against that person. And so you have this whole setup here where Saul is making it clear that he's rejecting Yahweh, he's rejecting the word in both the spoken form from the prophet Samuel and also in the written form from the prophet Moses. So both ways, Saul is not following the word of God for certainty. Instead, he's trying to find some other way to feel uh, God speaking to him. Uh, to to feel what he wants, it's kind of like uh, remember the, the the magic eight ball when uh, we were younger. You had that eight ball <laughs> with the little blue dye yep. liquid and the little kind of yep. uh, that little pyramid dice thing or something in the inside, yep. and you shake it up and it gives you a word. And if you don't like what it says because you ask it a question, shake you it shake again. it up again, so it gives yeah. you a different answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. This is basically what's happening with idolatry is is Saul wants his answer. He has a predetermined answer that he wants, and he's going to find his answer his way. Well, yeah, no, I think that's a a nice analogy, right? It's just like, you know, he's just going to keep throwing different things at the wall until it sticks, you know, and it looks like the way that he wants to take that eight ball until the one comes up and— and, and and I think that you, you see that and and you can kind of appreciate what's going on here because this this goes back you know all the way back to my goodness like when when David was anointed it says there that the spirit left him right yeah um, so yeah. we 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 get this we, I mean I think First Samuel paints this picture that that actually the spirit would in these different moments come upon Saul and I, I think the, impl- the clear implication I think of of this verse by the way too. Um, is that he would come to to Saul by dreams, um, and he and by prophets. That 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 much is obvious. Um, and he would also rush upon him and give him a a burst of strength or energy or or a word from God. So he he was having that happen. But but once once it was no longer his time. Once it was really time to transition over to David, stopped happening for Saul, and instead that started happening for David. Um, but like you're saying, I mean, it's just it's just showing Saul's reluctance to let go of power. Um, it, you know, he's like saying, "No, I I should get to stay in power. I should I should get to to go on being the king." Hey, look, I've done all these good things, right? Like I, I I've been serving God by doing this and by doing that. You know, like like you were mentioning with the Amalekites, right? Like, hey, look, I I did this with the Amalekites, right? You know, I I captured them and you know destroyed this stuff, right? So it's like he is. So I think this kind of gets to some of the email questions because it's like, yeah, Saul like has been doing good things. Like, what, what was uh, kicking out the the necromancers and the and the and the mediums a good thing? Well, yeah, it was. It's consistent with what you were saying, like the written word. But 
It's like <laughs> you don't just get to like selectively cherry pick things that you like to obey and, and expect that, oh, well, that means I get to disobey God then on this stuff. And, and that is a rampant problem in our society, right? Like that, that we kind of like just hyphenate all these different words with Christian, right? And it's like we think that if we kind of, you know, cherry pick the stuff we like, that like entitles us then to call ourselves God's people, uh, even while we flout all the other stuff we don't like. Right, 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 right. Well, with Saul in particular, though, it's not just merely that the Holy Spirit went upon David instead of Saul. So Saul was the anointed one. That's the one that God had put into place as the king in that office. But the Holy Spirit goes upon David. But it's not just that. It's also from God comes this this harmful spirit, an yeah. evil spirit. It is literally, I mean, what this is, this is an evil spirit. And so that's the status or the state of affairs that Saul has found himself in. And then it's just, it doubles down when he does not look to the written word. The written word is where we can be certain and sure that the Holy Spirit is speaking and working, because we can know that this is God's word. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. That is the word from God. That is from the Spirit of God. But when you have a harmful spirit, which is literally an evil spirit, who is now um, uh, pushing Saul along, Saul wants a spirit. And you're in this whole spiritual battle. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when you had the serpent, the old evil foe in the garden, who's calling into question God's certain and sure word that he gave to Adam. And the devil says, did God really say that? So again, Eve is shaking that magic eight ball and saying, well, let's see, what else could we see here instead of the word that was heard? And this is the situation that Saul has found himself in, with an evil spirit. So it's a spiritual battle. It's a war of words. And the only way we can uh, be armed against this fight is to have the written word. This is the sword of the spirit. This is the, the inspired word. This is the prophetic word. This is where we can be certain what Samuel said. Instead of trying to find a different way to hear the voice of Samuel and a voice of a different spirit. Yeah, well, and, and we've and we've talked about um, the, the the so-called evil spirit before, and uh, you know what what exact you know like evil compared to what that meant in the King James uh, translation at the time, and and some of the things like that. But I think the bottom line, what you're getting at, um, absolutely right. There's there's a spiritual battle, and you see uh, Saul kind of going back and forth, and there's these moments of of repentance where he kind of comes to his senses and he says, "You're." David, you're right. Uh, what I've been doing has been foolishness. What, what, have, what I've been doing all this time, right? So there's these moments of clarity, uh, repentance, um, mercy towards David. Uh, but then there's these moments of, okay, yeah, but no, I, I've got to do this, right? So it, it's, it's the back and forth. And we're going to see once David becomes king, the same thing's going to be going on. There's gonna be these moments of faithfulness, and there's these moments of, of failure. So it's, it's the back and forth. It's the life of repentance. It's uh, the life of faith that is, uh, like you were saying, a spiritual battle. Um, we've So much more could be said about that. Uh, but before we move on to uh, the next picks, we need to actually talk about, okay, so what does she see? What, what's going on with this? Uh, the, last, the last question we had on this section was, okay, so what's going on with the Urim? Um, so you know, apparently Saul was asking of this, which would seem to imply that he's got the high priest with him. We know from earlier that David's got 
the high priest with him. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that real quick? <laughs> I, I do not have any thoughts on that, but I, I think you, you make a valid point right there. Again, who is the high priest with? Uh, whose side is he on? Uh, yeah. in, in, the high priest is supposed to supposed to be in that, that office that he is supposed to be the one who is a picture of Christ, who is the true high priest. But we even see this uh, problem later on when when Jesus is brought yep. to trial before the high priest, who's not really the high priest, who doesn't act like a high priest, and still in an office. I mean, it, it is an interesting thing. You get a king who's in the, the office of king, and he's supposed to be doing what the Word of God says, but then he messes, doesn't necessarily do it. Um, this is this is the reality uh, of this fallen creation, and this is the beauty of Scripture. This is not plastic saints. These are not cor- cardboard people. I mean, these are real flesh and blood human beings like you and, and me who who are uh, tainted with sin, and we do have an inclination to not listen to God's word. We have a, 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 a depraved inclination to want to hear a different word, to shake that magic eight ball and say, "What else uh, would God say?" <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. So, I, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it's it's difficult to say exactly what's going on here, but, like, we do, we do know that how—well, you know how he got into this situation with the high priest, right? That he, he went and he killed everyone who, wear, who wore the, the ephod in the city of Nob. That's what sent Abiar Athar running for his life and sent him into the arms of David. So, I mean, that he isn't getting answers with Urim and Thummim is just not at all surprising— given that he did that, um, whether that means that the, the real high priest is basically in exile with David, the real king in exile also, right? And so we're, we're kind of set up with like this double irony of you got like a, on a certain level, you've got like a, a king who's overlived his his allotted reign. Um, and so similarly, there's also like a high, a high priest, like you were saying, who's been like kind of uh, a phony sham high priest that's been shoved in, kind of like, you know, the high priest of the temple of the Lord Jesus, you know, or is it that, I mean, you know, is it that ABR there went back? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's possible. I can't imagine that he would be given a warm welcome. But <laughs> uh, in any case, yeah, I mean, I think it just gets to this bigger thing of, you know, there's these, the trappings of legitimacy. Um, and yet, you know, what what's, what's on the inside? God looks at the heart. So, uh, look, speaking of looking at, right. So what, what, what are they seeing here? So you, you get the situation. Um, it, it's a, the, the exchange between the, the medium and Saul is, uh, you, you sympathize with the, with the woman actually just like say like, Whoa, hang on. You're trying to get me killed. <laughs> Saul said no more of that stuff. Like, what are you crazy? Um, no, I'm so, uh, so, so, yeah, so they go and they have this, uh, what, so what, what's going on? What do you, what do you think she's seeing? Uh, you know, we, we have a, such a, a problem, I guess, as modern readers of something so supernatural seemingly going on. Like she says, she sees a God. Um, so it's Saul says it, he knows it was Samuel. Um, and then it just, it's just straight up says in the text, Samuel said, so what's, what's going on here? Well, uh, again, just just to go a little bit background with this, in tying this back to Boaz, going into the book of Ruth, where they're meeting at night. Yeah. Uh, it's Boaz who gives that promise. It says, as Yahweh lives. So yeah. ironically, here, Saul is giving that promise as Yahweh lives. Now, of course, we know that Boaz, ultimately, as we know the genealogy, is uh, is the father 
previously grand, great-grandfather of David, right? And so you have the line of David where you have Boaz saying, as Yahweh lives, but now you have Saul saying, as Yahweh lives. Taking Yahweh's name and attaching a promise to it. I mean, this is very strange because he wants a word from Yahweh, but he's kind of, he's, he's misusing that name of Yahweh to, to get to his ends. I mean, this is yeah. a very deceitful thing to begin with. And so he's misusing point. Yahweh's name, and this is what he, he wants to see. He says to the woman, bring, bring up Samuel. You know, he's, he's asking of the woman, which, of course, takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Again, it was, it was Satan who went to the woman to, to Eve, and Eve was deceived, but of course Adam was in that, that position as the prophet, in that office, to speak the word. And so you go to the woman, and let's hear what the woman says. So now the woman is going to bring up Samuel so you can hear what the man says. I mean, the, the irony there I think is very thick going back to the Garden of Eden itself. Uh, that you're going to the woman so that she can tell you what the man, uh, Samuel, is going to say. And so the woman then says that she saw Samuel. Now, remember that in the Garden of Eden, again, it's, it's Eve who almost is kind of uh, duplicating what God did. In Genesis chapter 1, God saw everything that he had made, and it was good. And so here you have in Genesis chapter 3, where Eve sees that the fruit on the tree is good for eating. So Eve is kind of taking that word from Satan, where Satan gives a word, and now Eve sees... And Eve determines what is good, kind of mimicking God speaking and God seeing and God determining what is good. And so same kind of a thing here that you have the woman here who sees Samuel, and now he's going to speak in in, in this uh, loud voice. Um, the, the voice, uh, of course, is, is a sound if it's not attached to a word. But if it's attached to a word, it's a voice. I mean, it's the same word in Hebrew, just like Greek does the same kind of a thing. And so she hears a sound, but it's not just a sound. Is it a voice? Is it a word? What, what's going on here? And the yeah. woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? Now, see, so even this is interesting, too. She knows that there's some funny business going on here. So that, that's strange, too. Yeah, but, no. uh, but, Go ahead. but Saul wants to know what she sees. And so there is a connection between seeing and hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. That, that, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, like it's, uh, I, I mean, uh, so you have that in verse 12, right? Like it, it says that like you were saying when she, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Um, yeah, the, the connection of, of, of the seeing and the hearing. And, and, and uh, so this, this is, I think, kind of part of the weird thing, right, that we you, we get the sense of, right? So she says that she sees something, but then, you know, when, when Samuel, or rather when Saul then is, like, saying, hang on, like, so what do you see? You're getting the idea that, okay, well, she's seeing something, uh, but he isn't, right? Um, which, which then I think kind of like makes the, the question like, okay, so what's, what's going on then? Uh, because then, and as, as we, uh, proceed this, uh, proceed with this and she says, you know, I see a God coming up out of the earth and that all by itself is pretty interesting, I think. Right. Because I, I'm not even sure what to make of that because I mean, it, it, it doesn't even really say like, I don't know, like a God. I mean, it's, it's Elohim, you know, it's, it's like. I don't know. I like I like I see like God coming up out of the ground. So I mean that's that's a thing all by itself, or or just or maybe just God's um, like like you know it's like like she's like seeing like the uh, 
the spirits or the powers, right? Like, so it's taking a very pagan perspective, maybe, maybe more like that. But so regardless of it, she's seeing something and he's not. So, I mean, I think this is interesting because when she, when, when, uh, then you have Saul bowing down, isn't he just bowing down to the woman? Well, I, I think that something weird here is, too, that, that Saul is the one who's giving the interpretation on what she saw. So Saul hears that she saw a robe, and immediately she goes back to the time when Samuel has a robe, and he's trying to get Samuel to come back, and he, he rips off a piece of that robe, and Samuel's not going to return to him. Yeah, so yeah. immediately there's something going on with his conscience. It is guilty, and as, as soon as he hears the word robe, he goes, it's got to be Samuel because Samuel had a robe, and I took a piece of his robe and Samuel left me. Uh, so all of this is a very, it's the interpretation of Saul that really is the issue. It's his interpretation without the sure written word of God. Well, and what's interesting too, I think that's, uh, that, that's interesting to connect this to that moment, right? Because you just, you think of, you know, th- this is Sam, because there's lots of moments of Samuel's life, right? But here he is in this particular moment when he is an old man wearing a robe, and it's like this moment of, hey, you know, like, and it uses that language. It, it very much feels like this is just like you were saying in some ways, like an echo from Saul's conscience. Like, like God is using this, this, uh, this seance to take Saul back to what has already been said. And, and in some ways, it's kind of like the equivalent of like the written word, because uh, I doubt that, Sa- that Saul can actually read like ancient Hebrew uh, from Moses or something like this. But this is this is kind of the same thing. Like the idea is that what the written word is is it's like well remember, remember what God has already said. Remember what God has already told you. And and here it is. He's being forced to remember what's already been said. And so now it's just hey, you know what we said about it just being torn from you. It's happening tomorrow now. Um, and I think that 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 ominous note tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me is just a. Uh, I mean, there it is. Like you're going to be dead too. Like this is this is happening one way or another. You can't run from God's word forever. So I had to leave it on on on, <laughs> on that note. But I, I mean, we we had some good stuff uh, and more encouraging things along the way as well. Thank you so much, brother. Again, glad that we were able to get a hold of you despite the tef- technical difficulties. Uh, good. God bless you and uh, the evening and morning service there in Los Alamos. Thank you very much, Pastor Espinosa. Take care, everybody. That was uh, Pastor Brian Cashamar, Redeemer Evangelical, Los Alamos, New Mexico, going on to Chapter 29 next week. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.